Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Buenos tardes, mi amigo. Hola, my good friend. Cinco de mayo on Tuesday and I hope we'd see each other again Wait's finally over, my friends. Football is back. Raider Nation showing up on Monday Night Football. You might not be at the game this year. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee you won't be, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. I am going to be able to bet with my heart and my brain this year, or at least it appears that way because, like I said, Raiders showed up and put on an ass whooping on Monday Night Football on them New Orleans Saints last night. Game spreads, totals, teams, players, coaching props, bet online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino. It never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. <laughs> yeah. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone, to all the wonderful people of Earth. People of Earth. Uh, I am Michael D. Catherwood. It's time for another exciting, dare I say, riveting episode of Mikey Likes You. And today, I am going to be walking on some thin ice, and I understand that, but I do think that I'm going to be focusing on what is one of, if not the most important issue in America today, and I don't think that that's hyperbole. I'm talking about addiction. If you actually take the time to analyze the numbers of people in this country who suffer from addiction and subsequently die from that disease, well, it's breathtaking. I oftentimes refer back to the gun issue, which is something that um, most people don't seem to have any problem talking about. Everyone seems to have an opinion regardless of what your opinion may be. You may be a big fan of the Second Amendment and a big fan of firearms. You may hate the idea of anyone having a gun and you wish that we lived in a country um, like the UK where you, it was very, very difficult to own a gun. I don't really care what you think about firearms. I'm a, uh, I'm a pretty centrist guy when it comes to almost anything. Um, I love guns. I, I own guns. I go hunting. Uh, but I certainly understand why you don't like the fact that we live in a country where there's more guns than people. That does seem excessive, and it does seem dangerous, and there is a lot of shootings and killing. So I get it. I don't really, I do not care. I'm not some guy who <laughs> lives and dies by um, my opinions on social issues. You know, you can name any of them, whether it be abortion or whether it be uh, gay marriage or trans issues. I, I, uh... I I don't know if it's, and as in most things in life, it's probably a beautiful blend of, of a lot of things, but I either am such a insane narcissist that I'm incapable of taking into consideration other people's experiences, or I'm so uh, enlightened and I'm so in tune with other people that I, I, I just have a, a, an ability to um, see past kind of uh, controversial issues, whatever it is. I don't really care. I really don't care. Uh, you, you can have sex with whoever you want to have sex with guy, gal, uh, non-binary. You can be guy, gal, non-binary. I, I don't care. I don't, I really don't, it doesn't, it, it, it actually hurts me physically how little I care when people make an issue of stuff and I'm like, oh, I don't care. Uh, I buy all the guns you want or 
hate guns. I, I don't care. I, I really don't care. I'm so obsessive about like trying to deal with being a good father and not have my wife yell at me. Um, and my, my, my wife's not like a nag or anything. I just, I'm so obsessed with trying to get through every moment of my life. I don't, I don't give a shit what you do. As long as you don't rape or murder or, uh, commit perverse sexual acts on children, I really don't care. And by the way, murder, that one's open for debate. Like I'll, I'll hang out with you if you've killed someone. If you were a gangbanger when you were like a teenager and now you're 50 and uh, you're like, yeah, you know, I was living a hard life and it was either him or me. I took a couple dudes out, you know, but I'm a changed man now. I've been in jail and I've worked on myself. I, I, I have no problem. I'll invite you over for dinner. Uh, rape, on the other hand, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure like one rape and uh, I'm, I'm out. That's a... Uh, yeah, violence towards women in general. That's a, that's a, that's an icky one. I do care about that. If you beat up women or rape, I, 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 I care outside of that. I don't care. I don't care. I, when getting back to addiction, what we're talking about, I don't care if you believe in addiction, if you believe it's a disease or not. I don't care if you don't like the 12 steps. You think they're silly. You do think they don't work. I don't care. I don't care if you want to not use the 12 steps to deal with something that you perceive to be an addictive uh, pattern. I don't care. I don't, but it's like, just do what you think is best to try to deal with the problems in your life because everyone's life is fucking way different and we have no idea what's coming and we're all super lost and super confused and we're all searching, okay? Myself included. I am not, the guy who claims to have the right answers. I don't. I will tell you that right now. I'm really, really um, suspicious of anyone who says that they do. I've gotten to that point in my life where at, at 41 years of age, having certain trials and tribulations, a lot of them self-chosen, a lot of them not, a lot of them circumstance, most of them revolving around health, uh, mental health and, and emotional stuff psychiatric stuff. Um, when anyone says like, well, I got, I got it figured out, read my book. I've got the answer, come to my church. I've got the answer, take this pill. They're wrong. That's the only thing I've been able to kind of establish as being true in my life. Okay. We're all confused. We're all just trying our best. I don't have the right answers. I certainly wouldn't ever claim to have the right answers when it comes to the disease of addiction. What I do have, some experience. I have a lot of experience with addiction. I have a lot of experience with recovery. And I take on a lot of questions from people who are suffering from this disease. Um... And it started to speak to me in a way where I said, you know what? People are listening to this podcast more and more each episode. By the way, thank you. Um, this seems to be something that a lot of people are having a problem with. As I pointed out, the numbers are pretty staggering. Um, oh, by the way, sorry, to circle back, I know I'm bloviating a little bit, but I am, I, I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm a little nervous diving into this one. This isn't sets and reps and fucking diet. Addiction's a very hot point topic. It's a super hot button topic that a lot of people have really passionate feelings about. And the the community of 12-step, the one that I am, am proudly a part of, there's a lot of reluctance to talk about it. I mean, there's a reason why anonymous is attached to the back of narcotics or alcoholic, alcoholics, anonymous, narcotics, anonymous, gambling, anonymous, sex, anonymous. There's a reason why anonymous is attached on the back. You're not really supposed to be going out into the world and talking about that. That is for the privacy of everyone who it calls themselves in a community. Now I've been put, put in a strange situation that I've lived my life, my adult life in front of a microphone where millions at times, millions of people were listening. 
Um, it's been a, a, a blessing, but it also would put me in a different position. I, I can't really be afforded the same level of anonymity that most people can. Now, I'm not Robert Downey Jr. or, or, or um, now Brad Pitt and Ben Affleck. The list goes on and on of famous people, really famous people, that um, are members of this community. But I am someone who, like, my public persona does... I've been able to base my entire career around this idea of transparency and honesty. And one of the biggest factors of being transparent and honest with people when it comes to me is that I'm a drug addict, a bad one, a bad alcoholic and drug addict, and I've been sober a long time. Um, close to half my life, I've been in recovery. Uh, it'll be 18 years in like two weeks. Um, so I know addiction from that point of view. And I know a lot of people out there because I talk to them. I talk to them via DM, via in my personal life, like looking them in the eyes, over the phone, in my family, in my friend, uh, my, my network of friends. People have really strong opinions about addiction because so many people, they don't buy into the fact that it's a disease. Um, they think it's about a matter of willpower, they matter, a matter of laziness, whatever it may be. Um, and I don't, I, I don't care. I'm not one of these people who's in recovery that like gets offended by that. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, my father is, uh, suffering from cancer right now. And I don't say that to gather sympathy. I mean, I hope people would, uh, be pulling for my dad because he's a good dude and he deserves it. And I'm certainly concerned and worried and I love my father and I want to support him. But the reason I bring that up is because he had nothing to do with that. Some forms of cancer, um, you know, they're definitely brought on by lifestyles. So for, you know, if you smoke and you get lung cancer, that's certainly brought on by, uh, by your lifestyle or, or liver cancer, or, you know, something like that from, from drinking. You, you, get, you get my point. But that's a disease. He didn't see that coming and that's a disease and it's very easy to make sense of that in the layman's mind. People have a hard time understanding something that people engage in voluntarily be, being a disease. Um, but the truth is, is that there's there's a lot of kind of geek talk that I can go into, and I don't want to get too geeky about it, but I'll start off by discussing the idea of the disease of addiction. And again, I'm going to try my best to make this um, palatable to a, a, a layman's audience, and you know, not, not men and women of science. Um, there is a gene, a gene factor called Delta Fos B. And it's kind of the most critical component, at least that scientists have been able to analyze in the brains of addicts that separates addicts from regular folk. Delta Fos B is something that is found in the nucleus accumbens. It's a part of the brain right above you're kind of right above your temples on both sides. It's both hemispheres of the brain. Right above your temples, um, there is this nucleus accumbens, and this delta Fos B is greatly uh, overexpressed in the brains of addicts in comparison to regular folk. And just like diabetes, um, it's it is a it is a disease brought on partly by hereditary issues, epigenetics, and partly by behavior. Um, you have every bit of free will to not try that first cigarette, not try that first snort of cocaine, not try that first drink. But an addict truly does have different brain chemistry and how this Delta Fos B and all these other chemicals in the brain react to these substances or these behaviors, whether it be sex, substance, or, or, or gambling or something of that nature, or food, even food, okay? The way that your brain reacts with these genes and these gene transcriptions in this part of the brain, it is wildly different amongst addicts compared to regular people. That is science, okay? And that is where this idea, this notion of disease comes in. And then for those of you who have suffered from addiction or still suffer 
or have a loved one, a very close person to you in your life that suffers, you understand that once these chemicals start to kick in and once these expressions in the brain start to happen for an addict, it is fucking different. Where, where I, what I mean by that is like, I think we all either are that person or know the person that absolutely cannot stop drinking, that absolutely changes who they are. Every bit of their fabric becomes different when they try a drug, when they start gambling, when they have sex, when they uh, eat, uh, when they engage in eating, their ability to regulate that, their ability to attenuate that, their ability to um, administrate it at, 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 in normal levels. It, it's all incredibly different. I don't want to go into too much talking about speculation. I will use myself as an example. I recognized very early that I was an alcoholic and then I was a drug addict. I probably started using like, I mean, I tried liquor, gotten drunk early on and tried weed probably by the time I was like 14 or something, 15, nothing too crazy. But I didn't really start drinking heavily and using drugs heavily until very late in high school. And at that point, I definitely realized, like, I'm different. I'm thinking about it all day, every day. I can't wait to get to the moment where I can have that next fix, whether it be a bong rip, whether it be a 40 ounce, whether it be uh, a, a line, whatever it is. I just knew that not being sober was what I wanted to do all the time. It quickly escalated to the point that I was incapable of functioning without drugs or alcohol, literally incapable of functioning there, no matter how desperately, desperately, passionately I wanted to stop, I could not. Every fiber of my being forced me back to the, I, I would wake up in ambulances from overdosing. I would wake up in the hospital from crashing cars. I would wake up in jail or sometimes even remember going to jail. I would get my, the, the fucking shit kicked out of me. I would kick the shit out of someone else. I would have my parents hate me. I would have my friends completely ostracize me. None of it mattered. All I had to do was get high again and get drunk again. Even in the face of all these things that I was capable of completely understanding were destroying me. I recognized that fully. My intellectual brain was completely aware that I was destroying myself in every aspect of my life, whether it be spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically, certainly I was dying. I was killing myself. And I had created a world where everyone around me did not like me. I was aware of that. I was aware of what was doing it. And I could not stop, no matter how badly I wanted to. I would get clean. Two months, one time close to a year, I would tell myself, like, eh, eh, I'm good. I've gone 11 months, man. No booze, no drugs, no nothing. A little caffeine and aspirin. That's the only controlled substance that's going through my body. I can have a glass of wine with dinner. I could go to the Dodge game, have one beer. I'll be good. Within a week of that one beer, of that glass of wine with dinner, I was daily drinking, drinking for breakfast, and scouring Southern California for drugs now, for, for drugs of all sorts. Within a week, both times that I had gotten clean prior to this, hopefully last time. And that's not normal. <laughs> and we all know the guy or gal who like goes to college, joins a sorority, joins a fraternity or something, and then just is just drinking and using drugs like fucking crazy. But you get back into adult life and you have some more adult responsibilities and you're like, hey, I can't really do that anymore. I better stop. That's not an option for me and for people like me, okay? It has nothing to do with the amount. It has nothing to do with the frequency. It is about the chemical reactions that happen in the brain when I use, when I drink, that is different than normal people. Normies, as we call them in the recovery community. It is different. 
And it doesn't matter if you drink once a week, you tie it on. It doesn't matter if you're drinking every day, but you're only having a couple beers. It doesn't matter if you're using cocaine uh, just a couple times a week. If you're an addict, you're an addict. If you're not, you're not. And there's people who fucking pound booze every day that might not necessarily be alcoholics. And there's people who don't drink very frequently at all who definitely are, okay? All that matters is that there is a completely different chemical reaction that exists in these parts of the brain. And that is very real and that is undeniable. Whether or not you like to describe that as a disease or not, that's up to you. I don't, like I said, I don't really give a fuck. What I do give a fuck about is me staying sober and when people turn to me for advice, me being able to give them advice that's some fucking, in some way useful because it's terrifying. It's absolutely bone-chillingly terrifying to realize that you are completely helpless. Utterly helpless against something that is inanimate. <laughs> something that's an activity or a substance and it completely controls you. You're utterly helpless. It's terrifying and it's miserable and it's torturous. And sometimes even more so is to have the loved one, whether it's your husband, wife, mother, father, or your child, friend, girlfriend, whatever it may be, a loved one, someone that you desperately care about, and they're suffering from addiction, and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. It's all terrifying. And I don't have the answer, but I got some. Because somehow, some way, I've been able to stay sober for 18 years. And I've been able to find relief. I still suffer, but far less. My life is way harder now, but way better. And that's all I can really offer. So there is kind of my little chunk um, about the disease of addiction and the fact that, you know, it is classified as a disease by the CDC, by most medical um, psychiatric, Harry, my dog is just moaning for some reason, um, by most psychiatric and medical kind of outlets. Um, but whether or not you believe in it being a disease, I, I, I don't care. I'm not here to prove it to you. I was just giving you a little science and background, um, you know, from my standpoint to get us started. Now, if you're someone out there who's thinking that you might be a drug addict or an alcoholic um, or a sex addict or anything like that, um, I don't necessarily have the best answers for deciding whether or not, there's not really a checklist. I'll give you a little story as kind of an analogy. Um, because for me, look, I come from a long line of alcoholics. I'm Mexican Irish right down the middle. And there was heavy amounts of alcoholism and addiction on both sides of my family. Um, in many generations. I had no question once I started to sense my own very different reaction to drugs and alcohol that I was, in fact, an addict. I, I had no questions. And in, in many ways, that kind of made things cleaner for me because there was no ambiguity, there was no confusion. But I know for a lot of you out there, there is. And I've definitely met people in recovery um, who went like 20, 30 years without drinking not getting into recovery or anything. They just like stopped after college and then their disease kind of acted up again in their fifties. Um, I've definitely met people who are desperate drug addicts who use and drink every day. I've also met people who like, they were kind of in this middle ground where it was hard for them to kind of identify even that they had a problem because they, they would wait till 5 PM, you know, when they get off work to have their first beer, they weren't, you know, losing jobs. 
the consequences weren't that grave and they weren't that there wasn't much clarity to them. Some people, they only drank once a week or they only used drugs a couple times a month and it didn't really matter. At some point, they had to come to the conclusion that they were, in fact, an addict. Um, I don't really have any kind of binary answer to that. But I will give you this story and, and an analogy and then some follow-up on it. When I was in high school, um, I was a very confused, very misguided kid. But um, one of the elective classes I had was a social studies class where they actually had you take like a, a career test, you know, like to, to see what you would be most apt to succeed at in what careers. So all the kids that were taking it, they would get like five or six different options after filling out this rather lengthy and rather uh, thorough questionnaire. I got one. It was clergyman. I got one. Like I said, most people were getting six to ten real, like a broad range, you know, and they would be similar because, you know, it would make sense that, you know, like if you would be good at going into education, you would also be good at coaching or if you would be good at um, as, a, as a chemist, you would be good at as a mathematician, whatever. But clearly there are there are there are options within certain types of uh, thinking process and certain types of uh, disposition you would make for a good. I got one fucking job and it was it was man of the cloth religious figure. I was very confused by that. Being raised Catholic, I went to my local Catholic church. My actual parish, it was uh, St. Therese Catholic Church in Alhambra, California. And I went and talked to one of the fathers there, and I told him this story. And I said, how do you know how do you know that you're supposed to do this? Because that's an awful big commitment. How, how did you know? And he said, if you have to even sincerely ask yourself that question, it's probably not for you. Because I just knew. And... I feel like alcoholics and drug addicts, it's the exact same thing, but in the opposite direction. Whereas with Man of the Cloth, he asked me, he told me, if you even have to ask that question, it's not for you. Whereas alcoholics and drug addicts, if you're having to ask yourself that question, you're probably a drug addict or an alcoholic. Because normal people don't ever ask themselves that question. Normal people don't ever really have people tell them that they're alcoholics or drug addicts or that they might have a problem with alcoholism or drug addiction. That does not exist for most people. Most people don't ever come to the conclusion like, I wonder if I'm an alcoholic. If you ask yourself that question with any level of frequency, chances are very good that you are. If you are DMing me or someone like me with the question, do you think I'm an addict or alcoholic? I'm pretty darn sure the, the answer is yes. Because your brain has been able to recognize that there's been serious consequences from your drinking or from your using and they're not going to stop. You can kind of sense that. Most people black out. If you black out like in college or whatever, high school, you drink to the point where you black out. You don't remember and people tell you, do you, do you remember pissing in my fucking potted plant? Most normal people will go, oh my God, what did I do? I have a serious problem. If you continue to drink after that, you're an alcoholic. Okay? Normal people don't do that. Normal people, when faced with that kind of consequence, they, they completely revamp their entire existence. Most people, when they 
steal from loved ones to pay for drugs. If that ever happened, you would go, oh my God, what am I doing? Jesus Christ. I, oh my God, I, I just spent my kid's college fund on cocaine. I mean, oh my God, I just literally swiped 20 bucks from my dad. Like, oh my God, what has become of me? Okay, that, that's normal people. Out, addicts, alcoholics, you you recognize that that's a consequence and you're like, oh, I'm going to give me some, some, some fucking blow. So you're asking that question. Chances are good. You actually know the answer. You don't need me or someone like me to tell you, you or a doctor or a teacher or anything like that. So that's something that a lot of people have trouble with is like, well, am I really an alcoholic? And the next issue would be kind of the shame around it. Many people go on far too long continuing to engage in this uh, addictive behavior for far too long because they're just not willing to break down and admit that they have a problem because there's this weird stigma and shame around it. Um, that's fucking dumb. That's completely thoughtless, empty, manipulative, macho, cowboy bullshit. There's this Hollywood idea that drug addicts, alcoholics are these bums on the street, these degenerates, these men and women who can't hold it together. And certainly when you're in your addiction, that is true. You can't hold it together up to a normal standard. But just by virtue of being a drug addict or an alcoholic, you are not a defective person. What I mean by that is, I can't tell you how many people, they're like, ah, well, you know, I'm drinking every day, I'm drunk on the job. Yeah, I've lost a couple jobs. I'm not going to some meeting, though. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic. I mean, alcoholics, that's like the guy pushing the shopping cart down the street, lives on the bus. That's a degenerate bum. And it's like, hmm, okay. Come to a meeting with me, and you will see high-ranking military celebrities, uh, wildly successful artists, doctors, attorneys, um, educators, uh, people who have a wealth of shit-togetherness. The virtue of being an addict or an alcoholic does not make you a fuck up or a loser. Now, the disease of addiction can turn you into one. Let's not kid ourselves. There is definitely with these all these that I've mentioned these meetings, I definitely go to meetings where there are people who are fucking homeless. Who are uh, prostitutes, who are um common criminals. Uh that's absolutely true. But that's because of circumstances. That's because of the disease has taken them there. That's not because they are an alcoholic or they admitted that they were a drug addict. I also am overwhelmingly surrounded by people who are incredibly high functioning. Okay, so this old notion that you're a piece of shit because you have come to the point where you are an alcoholic or an addict, by virtue of admitting that, that doesn't make you any less of a person. In fact, science shows you're actually probably a little bit more sensitive and you're probably a little bit more intelligent. And it makes for really good survivors. If you notice, um, incredibly high-ranking military cops, um, fighters, uh, rock stars who play in front of arenas, uh, athletes, these are the people who oftentimes tend to be um, addicts and alcoholics because there is something that goes along with this adaptation or this 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 flaw if you call that in the brain the, the, the this difference in the brain that also adds to their ability to function under pressure um so you know take that put that in your pipe and smoke it and i i just want to there needs to be some level of war against this idea of of shame in admit in, in by by simply admitting that you are a drug addict or an alcoholic. Okay, now the shame that comes from living a life of a drug addict or alcoholic. There's not much I could do about that because there's going to be a ton of it. I still deal with a ton of it. 
because being a drug addict and being an alcoholic, oftentimes it makes you do a lot of shit that you really wish you didn't do. And I'm very shameful and I'm very regretful. But I don't really have any shame about simply admitting that I'm a, I'm an addict and I'm an alcoholic. Um, when it comes to having a loved one who is an addict or an alcoholic, my heart goes out to you and there's not much I can say to help you, like I said, from a binary standpoint, from, from an X's and O's standpoint. There's not like this protocol that you can do to help them. But there, I will let you know that you can force someone to go to rehab. You can do these things. You can have uh, a, a judge or, or a, an administrator of some sort tell them they need to get control of it until they make that internal decision that they need to do that. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Now, that's not saying that interventions aren't necessary sometimes because, look, you could be saving someone's life. Steve-O is a perfect example of that. Um, Steve-O didn't, in that moment, personally want to make that step, but he was going to die any day, and so his friends and loved ones initiated the... Um, the intervention, and that made him wake up to the fact that he needed to do it. So their interventions can be a godsend. I'm not saying don't do anything about it if you're preventing someone from saving, but if someone's defensive about the fact that they even have a problem, um, there's not going to be much you could do, honestly. Jail doesn't help, and, and, and rehab doesn't help, and programs don't help, and therapists don't help until that person really makes the decision internally that they have that they have a problem and that they're powerless to it um you're you're kind of fucked the one thing you can do as a loved one of an addict is not really be an accomplice to their to their addiction don't be an enabler and i know that that sounds crazy because you love this person but if you're the wife of a drug addict or an alcoholic you got to leave them. The, the most loving thing you can do is not to sit around and support them and, and make sure that their life is comfortable in this drug addict use, in this, in this use and drinking. If you're a parent of some, the kid, you, the last thing you want to do is like give them a place to live and, and some money in their pocket to make it easier for them. I had a lot of friends that I used to use and drink with. A lot. And they all told me I had a problem. But there was one guy. One. Who said, uh, I'm done, dude. My very close friend. And they all cared. And they all, I think, thought that they were doing the best thing by showing me love and support. But he did the most loving thing. He's my friend Hunter. And he said, I'm done. I'm not going to sit around and be a part of this where you kill yourself or kill me or someone else and, and you're, 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 I, I can no longer willingly be your friend until you change your lifestyle, until you get help. And uh, it was only a week, couple weeks later that I, in fact, did that on my own accord. And sure enough, when I did, who do you think was one of the first people outside of my family to come visit me in recovery? In, 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 in an inpatient facility. It was this guy Hunter. That helped me more than any level of, of kind of coddling, of any, uh, of any kind of expre outward expression of loving and supporting. That was the most supportive and loving thing he could have done. And I have a very good friend of mine who had a son. He's, he's older than I am. He's probably in his late, early 60s now, and he had a son who was in his 20s at the time and was a uh, was an addict, alcoholic. And um, he said, you can come back and live with me while you're putting your life back together, but I'm not going to have you come live in my place. He was a successful guy, so we had a really nice pad here and 
Southern California. He said, I'm not going to have you come here sitting in the fucking jacuzzi, sipping on champagne and using your drugs and just expecting me to support you. You want to come back here and put your life together? I'm, I'm willing. Sure enough, the kid moves back. Within a couple days, he's using and drinking again. What does the guy do? Packs his shit up, throws it in the front yard and says, get out. I told you. That was the hardest thing he's ever had to do. He and his wife were so upset at the idea of their own child literally throwing him out on the streets to God knows what because he was an addict. who He's probably going to be surrounding himself with incredibly dangerous people. But after all these vain attempts of trying to support his son into doing it, blah, 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 sure enough, what happened? A couple days living on the streets with nowhere to turn, knowing that his parents completely cut him off and wanted nothing to do with him. Guy got clean. He's still clean to this day. And this was like 2007 when I when this was going down. So my point being is like, you, you gotta, you know, Dr. Drew has even talked about the idea of calling the cops on your kids. He's recommended it. And I know that sounds fucking insane. But that is way more effective than, oh, just honey, we know you have a problem, but... Come back, live with us, you know, put your life, you know, we'll just support you. We'll get here. We'll feed you. We'll take care of you. That's, it's not going to do it. Enabling is the most dangerous kind of fuel for the addict is loved ones who enable. Um, the only other thing. I would really like to touch on when it comes to this. And I, I'm just kind of kind of trying to gather every aspect of what I commonly get asked questions about, what I've always commonly felt, these, 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 the, the dissonance within me emotionally and psychologically that has happened from my experience as an addict. And then... Um, what other addicts that I know in recovery often talk about. Okay. So I, I think these are just common things. The other thing I've found a lot of trouble with is this idea of surrender. And that is a big problem, especially against like really macho dudes that I, uh, you know, tend to hang out. I, I have a pretty macho kind of like friend circle, social circle because of, you know, fighting and martial arts and, um, Radio, certainly. Like, I just, you know, I seem to be surrounded by a lot more of um, what, would, what would be described as, like, tough guys, you know? A lot of military or ex-military, a lot of cops, guys like, you know, construction workers, fighters, they have a real hard time with this notion of surrender because it seems weak. And I get that, and I struggle with that, too. But you're not surrendering to something that you have a fighting chance at beating. That's what you need to understand. Surrender is not I give up because I'm not willing to do this anymore. Surrender is I give up because I can't win. This is an unwinnable war. And I'm going to continue to take tremendous amounts of casualties with very little progress, if any. Because of this chemical difference, because of this neural difference, because of the um, historical factors that come into uh, becoming an addict, an active addict or uh, alcoholic, because of your life experiences, circumstances, cultural impressions, whatever it may be, once you get to that point where you know you need help and you can't control this on your own, you there it's not like fighting it's not like you're getting in the ring and you have a fighter's chance you're fucked do you understand that this is not a war that you can win this is not a war that you can even engage in this is papua new guinea engaging in a boots on the ground war with the united states of america and you're papua new guinea <laughs> The disease of addiction will fuck you up if you continue to try to fight it. That's what surrender means. I throw my hands up and say, okay, I'm completely powerless to this. 
I cannot win this. Therefore, how can I alter my behavior to learn to live with this and control this in a happy and healthy way? That's what surrender is. It's not being weak. It's not giving up. It's altering your strategy. Okay? It's not getting in the ring with someone of your similar level of athleticism and fight training and skill and him or her beating the fuck out of you for three or four rounds and then saying, I give up. You're like, no, I want to bite down on my mouthpiece and at least go out like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a real warrior. Okay. I get that. This is stepping into the ring with a black bear and your hands tied behind your back and you're soaked in meat juice. Okay. This isn't giving up. This is, this is going, well, what the fuck are we doing here? Let me out of the cage. Okay. Let me out of the cage. This is getting out of that cage with the black bear, going in the backstage, getting a rifle, untying your hands and saying, okay, now let's do this. I'm not even going to engage in hand-to-hand combat with you because it's silly and I'm powerless. But I can go to some rifle training and learn how your your behavior, and I'll be back in a month and you, you'll see how things are different. That's what surrender is. It's a willing understanding that you are not only fighting an unwinnable war, you have to stop engaging in this battle altogether and completely alter your life. A lot of people don't like to hear that. But, you know, I get a lot of questions about like, hey, man, you know, I know that I'm an addict. I'm trying to get sober. Yes, I am picking my nose. That's why I got that nasally sound. Um, but I, I, I recognize that I'm an alcoholic, you know, and I'm get, I've been getting help. I go to meetings and I'm like, oh, man, good for you. Here's the problem, though. All my family and friends, they all drink like crazy. What can I do? Because I still want to hang it. And I go, sorry, dude. Yeah. Monday night football with your buddies? Not going to happen. At least for now. Yeah. That girlfriend you have that's still bumping rails of meth every day? Still smoking broken windows every day? Yeah, now that you're clean, yeah, you got to get rid of her. Your life is different. If you really want it and you really want to do it, you can't, these half measures and this understanding is like, well, I'll still, I'm still going to have these guys. Sometimes it means you got to fucking quit your job. I know that sounds harsh. Sometimes. Sometimes you got to get a divorce. Sometimes you got to do whatever it is that's going to prevent you from that full level of surrender and giving up. If you have things that are still pulling you back into that cage to get in that battle with that fucking black bear, you can't, you got to get rid of those things. At least first. For a year or so, there was a lot of people I just couldn't hang out with. You know, eventually it got to the point where my life was so different that I could start hanging out with people who were using drugs and drinking and doing all these things and go to concerts and go to football games and go to baseball games and all whatever it may be. I, I, I eventually got back to the point where I started to, my new life was able to accept and tolerate those things. But at first, my new life was not. And if you have, uh, you know, I'm speaking to um, my... Uh, <laughs> My, you know, I, I'm trying to be as sensitive about this as possible, but look, this is a real thing and I hate when people pussyfoot around this and then it, it gets, uh, it gets avoided. I'm talking to my Hispanic friends out there, my, uh, Northeastern Italian friends, um, my, uh, certain neighborhood, you know, Massachusetts, Irish, my black friends. If you're in a culture, if you are raised in a culture where you have that uncle or you have that dad or you have that fucking mom or sister that's like, fucking, get out a couple beers, pussy. Come on, pussy. What are you, what are you, a fucking, you can't even have a beer? What are you, some, what kind of man are you? What, hey, are you, mas put, right? You, you all know I'm telling the truth. So I, I, I don't, don't fucking DM me with your, or tweet me with your, Dude, that's so culturally insensitive. That's fucking racist. Fuck you. 
okay? Because every black dude out there, every Hispanic chick, every all you like all these cult, there's certain cultures where you know I'm telling the truth, where you all have that family member or that friend where it's like, well, I don't even what do you what kind of pussy are you? You can't even have a fucking beer. And to, look, it's certainly in certain white cultures too, especially in like. I have, a, I have a friend that I'm thinking of right now who's a white guy, a white guy in rural area, who he's just, he works in, in metalworking. He's, he's a fabricator and stuff, and he works a lot of, around a lot of, like, tough fucking blue-collar dudes. And they're like, just hit this shit. What, I brought this homemade, you know, whiskey, or I brought this Everclear. Come on, have a shot. And he's like, no, I, I have a problem with drinking. He's like, what the fuck, dude? Just have a shot. Okay, that, those fuckers, I don't care how close you are with them, it's now on you to distance yourself from that person or you you haven't surrendered. And I only say this and I only go to that extent is because that is so real and I don't give a fuck what you guys or girls say. That is real and the people who have experienced this know what I'm talking about. And that's the those are the people that I care about more than the fucking social justice warriors who want to say like, you can't just make these generalizations about cultures. Well, I am. Okay, so eat me. And certainly my military friends uh, will echo that sentiment. Um, but you don't owe them shit. Okay? You don't owe those people shit. What you have done in, in, in engaging in this, in, in the surrender, in not engaging in the continuous battle and the struggle is to change, to in, choosing to exit the cage and go and reassess. What you have done is also gotten to the point where you don't need them and you don't need their opinion and if they call you a pussy so what and if they think you're a bitch so what when you put your head at night when you put your head to sleep at night and you've made the conscious decision to change your life and to surrender and you go that first day that second day, when you put your head to sleep at night, after that seventh day of not using and drinking, you won't give a shit what that person has to say if they think you're a pussy, if they think you're a little bitch ass, because you'll say, ha, I'm doing it. And just worry about that one day. One, I know it's tried and true and it's trite and it's silly and it's, and it's cliche, but just fucking think about that one day. Don't, uh, don't think about how hard it and how arduous it's going to be, how intimidating it's going to be, how formidable it is to never drink or use again. You're just not going to drink or use today and you're going to reach out to your people that you have in your support network to do so. And all the naysayers and all the fucking critics... Fuck them. I spent far too much time wanting to appear to be fucking punk rock and hardcore and badass and using all the drugs and drinking all the time and smoking cigarettes and looking like a rebel. But you want to know when I really felt like I was a fucking punk rock all-star? When I got control of my life and I stopped giving a shit about what other people said and I just started doing what I knew to be best for me and the people that I really cared about. And the best thing for me was to not drink and use drugs. By far, no ifs, ands, or buts, not open for debate. That is the truth. And that was the most fucking kick-ass, against-the-grain thing I could do. And believe me, when I first started working at K-Rock, there was many a times where people were like, just fucking have a beer, dude. What the fuck? We're at the AFI. Go just have this. And I was like, uh, yeah, okay. At first, I was like, kind of all, all, all shucked. Yeah, oh, no, I know I'm okay. I'm actually, I don't. I have a drink. After a while, I was like, fuck off, dude. What? What do you mean? I'm an alcoholic, so get out of my face. Or I'll get you out of my face. And then walk away. And uh, I felt like a fucking champion. I felt like I felt like Gigi Allen at his peak because it was just like middle finger to everyone. I don't give. I'm not fucking succumbing to pressure to do something that I know not to be good for me. Because my my uncle fucking Reaper or some dude some fucking wannabe shithead at a Pennywise concert thinks that I should be having a beer because I'm not a real man. Eat me. I'm good, bruh. You know. Drink your beer. Do what you want to do. I'm, I'm cool. 
You do what you need to do. Just smoke fucking meth for all I care. I'm good. That's against the grain, nonconformist, real punk rock all-star. And then, uh, you know, to finish up, I will tell you this, and I've had the luxury of being raised where I've been raised and also being, um, you know, engaging in recovery mostly in, in Los Angeles area in the entertainment industry is that you think, like, there's definitely a cool factor to drinking and using drugs, right? We've romanticized it in this country for far too long, all the way back from Hemingway to Jim Morrison. You just say, there is there is this romanticized idea. But I will tell you, I can tell you firsthand, I'm not going to name names because that would be wrong, but I go to meetings with some of the coolest people on the planet, no ifs, ands, or buts, not open for debate, the fucking coolest, sweetest people ever. You do not need drugs or alcohol to be uh, uh, some badass or some cool dude or some cool sweet chick. Trust me, I'm telling you, all the people in your mind, you're like, I wonder if he goes, to, yeah, those people. The fucking sweetest people ever. So just kick that bullshit. Um, last and final thought. Money. Let's not kid ourselves, that's an issue. There is definitely a lot of free services here in Cal in the state of California and the county of Los Angeles. They do offer public assistance when it comes to like uh, places you can go, inpatient treatment that is free of charge. I don't know what goes on around the country. I don't know. But I do know that if you want to get into a recovery facility, whether it's a good one or a bad one, it costs. And most people don't have that much money on hand. I get that. And that's an issue. Um, but 12-step meetings are free. Go online. We have the internet now. It's not even that hard to find. Like, go online. Find nearest NA meeting to me and put in your zip code. Nearest AA meeting. And just go. Just have the courage to go. Find a sponsor. Get a support network around you. It is not probably for those of you who are desperate users or drinkers. It is not the 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 best. You know, the best thing you can do is get into an inpatient treatment facility center if you can afford it. If your parents can afford it. If your wife can afford it. If your friend of yours can loan you the money, that is definitely the best thing you can do. But I'm not blind. I'm not. I'm not detached from reality. Most people can't afford to drop fifteen thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars for you know even like mid grade level. I mean, I'm not even talking about these like. Hollywood places, you know, that the celebs go to, but you know, a good normal inpatient treatment is, is more money than most people have like dispensable, the, the dispensable income to afford. But that doesn't mean you should just give in. There is the 12 steps are based around the idea of it being free all the time, every day, everywhere, no matter what. So just, just pull the trigger, man or gal. <laughs> Because it is worth it. And there is going to be people there, whether you believe in the 12 steps or not. I, I, I get that, and I'm not trying to force it down your throat. What I am saying is that there is a place. There is a place for you that's free and that will be filled with people who understand you. And that alone is a huge step. Um, now, if you are in the place where you kind of can afford it, and you're thinking like, oh, but we can't, do it. Because whether you're saying like, well, I can afford this now, but then I won't be able to send my kid to college. Or I can afford this now, but I won't be able to pay, um, you know, rent next year. And I had a nice little, you know, or I, I could afford this now, but I'd have to quit my job. Or It doesn't matter because if you're truly a, an addict or an alcoholic, none of the other things matter. Eventually, they'll all come to an end anyway. You see, I can't be that for, I can't, I can't spend that much time away from my kids. Mm. If you keep going like you're going, you're going to be spending a lot more time away from your kids when your wife leaves you and takes the kids or the husband leaves you and takes the kids. And you're going to be spending a lot more time away from your kids when you're dead. 
I have, I can't tell you how many people that have come to me for advice. I mean, honestly, like may, between five to ten people, dudes. Mostly, these are exclusively guys. I will tell tell you, be honest with you. And they were exclusively guys that I kind of worked in the same industry. They're like, dude, I have a problem, blah blah blah. And I go, oh, do you okay? Check into a place tomorrow. And I was like, well, I can't do that. I can't take that much time off work. And I go, okay. What's more important, really, though? And they're like, well, yeah, man, I'm at a place right now where I really want to, you know, I'm advancing my career. I go, okay, I, I get it, dude. I'm not going to pressure you, but I'm just telling you what I think. Every one of those dudes lost their job. Whether it was in a month or a year, every one of those dudes, that they, they, were, they were not willing to go into recovery because they were protecting that, that place of employment. They lost that place of employment permanently eventually because they're fucking drug addicts and alcoholics. Thank you guys for this. And I want to give a special thanks to my friend, uh, Coach Vic uh, from the Thai Boxing Institute, who was kind of, he's my Muay Thai coach. And he was responsible really for me doing this episode because I've always been reticent to, to dive this much into it because I think it's a little bit, I don't know. I always looked at it as a little bit selfish and self-aggrandizing in a way. You know, it's like, oh, my struggles with addiction. But he, and he's a smart guy and he's a really introspective guy. He's like, no, you you, you should, you've always looked at this podcast as a public service. How could you avoid doing this? So uh, thank you to Coach Vic for encouraging me to to do this episode. And um, in this crazy mixed up world that makes you think that nobody cares, remember, I do. Be good, people. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.